Romans chapter 1, verse 18. I have a very short scripture as my text today, but what we're going to talk about, we could literally spend years talking about, going through the scripture. I want to talk to you today about the truth. I want to talk about truth this morning. Jesus made the declaration about himself clearly stating that he is the way, the truth, and the life. In other words, he is the one and only. The one and only what? The one and only way to life and salvation. The one and only truth. Truth is objective. There's not many truths. There's only one truth. And Jesus said, I am the truth. And he is the life, the only life. There is no life outside of Jesus. There is no life apart from Jesus. He is the one and the only. There is no other. The spiritual warfare taking place, you do realize we are in a spiritual war. Now Jesus has won the victory. Jesus upon the cross said it is finished. He defeated Satan. That's what he came to this earth to do. 1 John 3.8 For this reason the Son of God was manifest to destroy the works of the devil. But the Bible also clearly teaches us that there is still a battle, a warfare going on. Men's souls are still being weighed in the balance as far as we are concerned. You can't look at a person and see what's in their heart and know what's in their heart. Only God can do that. But we can see fruit. We can discern fruit. And God didn't send us out. The Lord didn't send us out to save people. He sent us out to make disciples, to proclaim the gospel. And it is the gospel that is the power of God to salvation. And so we are in a spiritual warfare. It's taking place right now, all around us. Whether you realize it or not, we live in a spiritual war zone. We are the victors, but the battle still rages. And this battle, this warfare that's taking place is centered in the battle against truth. From the beginning... The enemy has waged war on the truth. Think about the serpent in the garden. He didn't come and murder Adam and Eve. He didn't physically take life from them. He didn't physically attack them. He didn't even scare them. He didn't appear as something that would be scary that they would recoil from. He came and he spoke truth to them, but with that truth, there was the lie. Any good deception is not purely a lie, it's just enough of a lie. With enough of the truth, so that you think it's not dangerous. 
But Adam and Eve had the clear word of the Lord. They knew who to obey, but they chose to disobey their Creator. And they chose to obey their own lusts. And so they fell for the deception of the enemy. When they should have taken authority over him, Adam should have never allowed the enemy in the garden. He should have never allowed the enemy to approach his wife. But instead, he not only allowed the enemy to come and to approach his wife, he allowed the wife, his wife to take the fruit from the serpent and then he joined with her. That was the first Adam. What he should have done when confronted by God was own up to his sin and take the proper responsibility to save his bride. But he didn't. But guess who did? The first Adam did not do that, but the second Adam, the last Adam, did. He came and he took the penalty of sin in himself, so that his bride, his wife, could be saved. She's guilty. As, as the bride of Christ, we are guilty, we are sinful, but our, our bridegroom has given his life so that we could live. So you see, from the very beginning, the enemy attacked the truth. And he attacked it with a lie. This is the same battle that we are in right now. As a result of the fall, mankind outside of Christ is not simply ignorant of the truth. Don't, that's a lie too. Oh, the problem is they're just, they're just ignorant. They don't know any better. That's not what the Bible teaches us. They're not ignorant. They do know better. Just like Adam and Eve knew better. It's not if they would have had more information, they could have made a better decision. No, they had everything they needed. They had the word of the Lord. And it is the same today. It's not the ignorance of man. It's not simply ignorant or ignorance of the truth. Man is willfully suppressing it, holding it down. In fact, the Apostle Paul goes on to write there in Romans that they changed the truth into a lie. That's exactly what the enemy did. He changed the truth into a lie. And the war waged against truth then is not about ignorance. It is about willful disobedience. Men are not suppressing the truth in ignorance. They are suppressing it in unrighteousness. Romans 1.18, our text today. Paul writes, For the wrath of God is revealed, against, is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. This is the word of the Lord. Father, help us today. Lord, we thank you for the Holy Spirit that, that resides in us. We thank you for the living word that is in us and the written word, the holy, infallible word of God given to us in the scriptures that is illuminated 
to us by the Holy Spirit. That is the truth that reveals Christ to us by the Spirit to set us free from the bondage of sin and death and all the deception of the enemy in this world. Father, we ask today that you would transform us and conform us, set us free, God, that we would be a people glorious, a glorious witness to you in this earth, among our family and our friends and the people that you privilege us to be in contact with every day. May our lives shine as a light to them. May Christ be glorified. Father, fill us with your Spirit and give us boldness to open our mouths and boldly proclaim your truth, the gospel that is the only power that can save men. Father, we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, amen. The wrath of God, Paul writes, is revealed from heaven. The wrath of God is his holy displeasure and his righteous vengeance against sin. Do you know that much of the world today, well, the world doesn't like it, but there is much of the church today that does not like for us to talk about the Lord and vengeance in the same sentence. Because much of the church today does not believe that the Lord is a God who will execute vengeance. Therefore, as we will see in just a few months, when the Gay Pride event once again is held in our city, the second annual now, put with a stamp of approval by our city, this is an official event sponsored, helped by the city, proclamation from all the citizens of Taylor proclaiming this special day, June, June 25th this year. And there are churches out there. In particular, there were two churches out there last year. I don't know how many will be out there this year who were affirming that lifestyle. That God will not, not only is God not displeased with your lifestyle, God affirms your lifestyle and certainly there will be no vengeance as a result of your sin. In other words, you will not suffer any wrath because of your lifestyle, because your lifestyle is not sinful. That's what churches are teaching sinners. You can pick any flavor of sin you want. But, but there are certain flavors of sin that are being just thrust in our face, put in our face, crammed down our throats. Our children are being indoctrinated from the earliest of ages to believe that you can be any gender you want. It doesn't matter what your biology says. Because... According to the world now, gender has nothing to do with biology. It's how you identify. You begin to teach that to preschoolers and kindergartners, you'd realize how confusing that is. Those are just examples. And the world says this is the truth. And then they cite all kinds of science or pseudoscience 
You know, the world can put a label on anything. They can call it truth. They can call it science. They can call it fact. They can call it fiction. They can label it any way they want to make it be what they want. Because the world doesn't view truth as something objective. The world views truth as something subjective. So when a baby is born and his body says that it's a boy or a girl, the world says it doesn't matter what the biology looks like or how it functions, it's how that person feels that is the truth. So one person feels one way, another person feels another way. How does that work out? Well, each person has their own truth. Pastor Jeff, Jesus is your truth, but he's not my truth. And I'm okay with you having Jesus as your truth. You be okay with letting me have whatever I want to have as my truth. Because truth is not objective. Truth is subjective. Everybody can have a different truth and it still all be true. That's literally what the world teaches. The Bible doesn't teach anything close to that. In fact, the Bible is very narrow-minded when it comes to truth. So narrow-minded that it says, Jesus himself said, I am the truth. There's not another truth. There's not another way. There's not another life. Jesus is that truth. And so the wrath of God... The holy displeasure and the righteous vengeance of God is revealed from heaven against sin that denies truth. It's revealed in heaven or from heaven in those who take pleasure in ungodliness and unrighteousness, Paul writes. His wrath, his holy displeasure, his righteous vengeance can very often be revealed in the consequences that sin produces. Those consequences can be short-term, but very often they are long-term realities that we must deal with. You go on and read the rest of Romans chapter 1, and Paul even writes, he said, this sin of taking the natural use of our bodies for unnatural uses, that sin is made manifest in them. Sexually transmitted diseases are called sexually transmitted diseases because they're transmitted sexually. You know how you don't get a sexually transmitted disease? You don't do the things that cause the disease to be transmitted. God wasn't trying to steal anyone's joy or fun or pleasure by designing a relationship between a man and a woman to be consummated after a marriage. And the biblical assumption is, is that man and that woman will come together for the first time with one another. And in that created order, there's not going to be anything transmitted sexually that should not be transmitted. I remember I was in the uh, University of Texas uh, while I was still a student there in the early 80s. 
And I remember very vividly, very well, the outbreak of the AIDS epidemic. Well, I mean, when it, when it finally broke on the scene and it became the news of the day. And as you can imagine, this mad dash to try to find out how we can cure this disease because there were literally, I mean, thousands of people dying, contracting AIDS and dying of AIDS. And it became a very scary thing for certain populations. And the world took up the crusade to try to find a cure for AIDS, a disease that's very easily prevented. So much so that cancer, heart disease, all of those things that killed far more people kind of took a back seat. We got to find a cure for AIDS. And the whole while they're trying to find a cure for this disease, the answer was right before their eyes. And many people gave the answer, gave the stop engaging in that behavior that is causing you to contract this disease. Oh, well, you can't do that. You're discriminating against a, a population of people, a minority population. They have a right, okay? If you have a right to engage in that behavior, then you have a right to take the risk for that behavior, that, and, and you take that risk. But you understand, and they do, they do understand, they did understand, they still do understand, the very simple way of not contracting that sexually transmitted disease. I mean, after all the irrational fear of, can I get it from mosquitoes or um, drinking you know, water or uh, sitting on a toilet seat or... You know, there's really just a very limited number of ways you can get that, and it's all very easily prevented. That's the truth that people don't want to know, they don't want to hear, because it brings accountability. You see, the truth doesn't just set us free. The truth brings accountability. And so God's wrath revealed from heaven, His displeasure with sin produces consequences. And the reality is we, we can't deal with the reality of the consequence of our sin in our own strength. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if we're talking about sins as, as blatant and as destructive as, as those that create AIDS or any other disease or horrible consequence or those sins that we think are okay because they're no big deal. And besides that, nobody really knows. Well, God knows. And those little sins that we don't think are any big deal that we just brush off and we don't pay attention to, they're so small we don't even ask God to forgive us because we don't think they're a big deal. Any sin, any sin is a sin worthy of repentance 
and worthy of asking God to forgive us and asking God to give us the grace to not engage in that sin again. Any sin. It doesn't matter how big. It doesn't matter how small. Because you know what? If you live your life and you just continually engage in those small sins that you don't think are any big deal, you know, if you put enough grains of sand in your bucket, your bucket is going to get too heavy for you to carry. And all, every grain of sand that you think is no big deal, it's so light, it's no big deal, but it's going in your bucket. You know, eventually, your bucket's going to get full. This is what I tell my first responders about trauma. Yeah, that was no big deal to you now, but that just went in your bucket. And one day your bucket's going to get so heavy, your backpack's going to get so heavy, you're going to fall down broken. And that's a good thing if that happens, because that's when, when you fall down broken, that's when you're, you're going to have to look up to God. And He's the one that's going to give you the grace to be able to deal with the realities of the sins that we refuse to deal with. His grace is there to work all things together for good. The big things and the little things. All things. To those who love Him and to those who are called according to His purpose. And if you are trusting in Christ, if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength, you can know that God is working in all things, big and small, for your good and for His glory. That is the promise God gives to us in His Word. Paul writes that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. What is ungodliness? Ungodliness is a lack of reverence toward God. Think of the culture that we live in today. Think of the irreverence toward God that is celebrated. I mean, people make whole comedy specials just out of being irreverent toward God. And people sit there and roll and laugh and think it is so funny. The irreverence toward God. It's what the Bible defines as ungodliness. Ungodliness is the irreligion. It's the irreverence of men toward God. It warrants the wrath of God. And it is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. There is a pointed irreverence toward God in men today, in our culture today. We see it, we hear it. In the lifestyles and the sin that's being embraced and celebrated and taught as normal. It proliferates our media and our entertainment industries. It's embedded in our institutions, especially in what we call our educational institutions, but they're really just institutions of indoctrination. Indoctrinating our children into the lie. indoctrinating a culture in the irreverence and irrelevance of God. Because that's what our institutions are teaching. And the younger, the better. And the, the goal is to teach that God is not just someone you can be irreverent toward, but someone and something that is completely irrelevant. Has no relevance to your life. 
So don't worry about God. And if you don't believe that's actually happening, then you're living in a bubble. And you're living in denial. This is why we hosted the conference last night. This is why we try to engage with pastors and ministries like that. Because there are, I promise you, in this community, because I've talked to them, there are pastors who refuse to even think about things like that. Who don't even want to talk about things like that because... I really don't know why. I can't tell you why. I can't tell you the because. Because I don't understand it. And so, people, Christians, notoriously live in denial. Pretending like these things aren't happening. And we've been doing that for a long time. You realize, for decades. Many decades, we've been pretending like these things aren't happening. Oh, I hear that, you know, but sounds radical. Sounds like a conspiracy theory. Sounds like someone had a bad experience with their school district. But my school district's not like that. Oh, everybody's congressman is horrible, except mine. Mine is really good. That's why I keep reelecting him. We live in denial until we can't live in denial anymore. Or like my, my first responders, you know, who held a little baby who had been run over by a vehicle, crushed, and they're holding that baby. And I go to that person, and I ask them the question, how are you doing? And the standard answer comes back, I'm good. But you know they're not good. And so what, what I always say, what we always say is you're good until you're not. And what that means is, yeah, you're good. You say you're good. But one day, that thing's going to get put in your backpack that's going to tip you over the point, and you're not going to be good. And you're going to have a breakdown, a meltdown, something. Then you'll get the help that you need. Because you, you, it won't be your choice anymore. You'll have to. And this is what happens when people live in denial. They live in denial, they live in denial until they can't live in denial anymore. And that, that looks different for different people in different situations. Think about our nation. What does it look like for our nation when the church is living in denial, refusing to deal with reality, refusing to preach the truth, refusing to stand for the truth, just pretending like I'm going to be a neutral party I'm going to be the bridge between these two parties. I had someone tell me last year after the gay pride thing when they accused me of hating homosexuals because we encourage people to go out there and engage and love them and speak the truth to them. Not yell at them, not beat them over the head with the Bible, but just engage and proclaim the gospel. And I was told, we're... We're about building bridges, not burning them. In other words, I'm going to stand neutral here, and I'm going to be the bridge. I loved what, I don't remember who it was, Joel or somebody, it was Joel. When we talk about, there is no neutrality. You know who said that originally? Jesus. You're either for me, or you're against me. 
the wrath of God revealed from heaven against the unrighteousness of men. Unrighteousness. Unrighteousness logically follows irreverence. It is the moral deviation from the standard and the nature of God and our attitude toward God. We cannot be righteous in ourselves. You realize that? When Jesus saves us, when we're saved, it's not that we in our essence, in our nature, become righteous because we're not righteous. It's that God imputes, He counts us righteous. The righteousness that we are counted, the way we are counted righteous is with the righteousness of Christ. Christ is our righteousness. I'm not righteous. Christ is righteous. And when God saves me and joins me in union with Christ, I become righteous because Christ is righteous. And the Father sees me in right standing with Him because I am now in union with His righteous, holy Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not righteous in ourselves. Therefore, if we are in Christ, we have been delivered from God's wrath revealed against unrighteousness. We are safe and we are secure in Jesus Christ who is our righteousness. And then Paul says this, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Men, that word suppress literally means to hold down. Men who hold down the truth. If you've ever been in a swimming pool trying to hold down a, a beach ball, this, Doug Wilson gives this example of someone trying to hold a beach ball down. And what we do is we come along and we just kind of, with the, with the gospel, we just kind of tickle their ribs, poke their arms. So in hopes that they'll stop suppressing, stop holding down the truth and allow the truth to be revealed. And if you think about someone holding down suppressing something like that. They're not doing that by accident. They're putting effort in that. They're working at that. They're holding down the truth in unrighteousness. To suppress the truth is to deviate from it. To deviate from the truth is to deviate from the standard and the nature of the Lord God Himself. There is no truth apart from Christ, apart from God. He is the truth, and all truth flows from Him. And truth can only be objective. It can never be some subjective floating standard out there that every person can decide for themselves. I mean, what if every traffic light was just an invitation for everyone to decide whether themselves, whether red, yellow, or green meant go, slow down, or stop? You just decide for yourself what those colors mean because those colors aren't objective. Red doesn't necessarily have to mean stop. It can mean whatever you want it to mean. We don't live like that, do we? We don't live as though truth is subjective. Well, we do in some ways, but not in every way. It would, you, you can't even imagine what the world would be like. 
So what we do is we pick and choose what truth we want to make subjective. And the rest of the truth that needs to be objective for us in our world, in our life, we leave it as objective. But then there are those areas of truth that we decide that we can count as subjective. Nope, that's not true. Maybe true for you, but not true for me. So I'm going to take that truth, I'm going to turn it into a lie, but I'm going to call it my truth. The world is doing this wholesale in every area of our lives. And what they're doing is suppressing the truth. When man can define, or when man defines his own truth, man is putting himself in the position reserved only for God, the author of truth. In reality, when man defines his own truth, he is manifesting the attributes of his real father, the devil, who Jesus called the father of lies. Men suppressed the truth in unrighteousness because they did not receive the love of the truth. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul in his second letter to the Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians 2, 10 through 12. Paul writes, And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. They did not receive the love of the truth. They did not receive the truth, believe the truth, but they believed the lie because they had pleasure in unrighteousness. Paul is describing the wrath of God revealed from heaven against those who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Notice how God reveals his holy displeasure and his righteous vengeance against the suppression of the truth. He sends them strong delusion that they should believe the lie even more. So this is reminiscent of Pharaoh in Egypt with Moses. He already had a hard heart, and what did God do? God sent Moses, and he made his hard heart even harder. And Pharaoh took pleasure in the hardness of his heart. And so God just gave him his pleasure and gave him a harder and a harder and an even more hard heart. This is exactly what's being pictured here. This strong delusion. Listen to the pulpit commentary on this verse in 2 Thessalonians. These words are not to be weakened as if they meant merely that in righteous judgment God permitted strong delusion. We're afraid to tell the truth very often. And so what we say is, well, you know, no, 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 no. God didn't make that happen. He just allowed it to happen. When you hear people say things like that, does it ever cause you just like to pause and think, uh, so what are you trying to tell me? Because is there really a difference if God is all-powerful and he has the power to stop the delusion, why would he allow it? Is he powerless? No. Is he indifferent? No. Then if he allowed it, 
what we really need to do is just go ahead and believe what the scripture actually is telling us. He sent it. He did it. The words are not a mere assertion of judicial permission, but of actual retribution. It is the ordinance of God that the wicked, by their wicked actions, fall into greater wickedness, and that thus sin is punished by sin. And what is an ordinance of God is appointed by God himself. You can just read the rest of Romans chapter 1 and you'll see that's exactly what Paul lays out when he, he gives this progression of sinfulness until finally God turns him over to a reprobate mind. So simply stated, God did not just allow the strong delusion to be sent to those perishing. God himself sent an active power to mislead them even more and farther from the truth that they took pleasure in rejecting and suppressing. God did this as a punishment for their sin and their wickedness because they took pleasure in the unrighteous act of suppressing the truth. This is not, I want you to hear me, this is not describing those saved who are struggling against sinful thoughts and sinful behaviors. This is describing those perishing who are rejecting the truth and taking unrestrained pleasure in their unrighteousness. The lie is increasing in them and they are taking pleasure in that increase of the lie. To those who love the truth, listen to what Paul goes on to write in the very next verses of 2 Thessalonians. To those who love the truth, Paul writes, But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation. I want you to let that sink in. God from the beginning, chose you for salvation. That was before your struggle with sin. That was before your sinful behavior that you're convicted of and struggling with. God chose you before for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth to which He called you by our gospel, for the, for the obtaining of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or by epistle. Truth is not neutral. What I mean by that is that truth is not something we can have no opinion about. Truth is not a subject or a reality we can avoid or deny or pretend as if it doesn't matter. It does. <clears throat> we cannot take a neutral stance on the truth. And my neutrality toward the truth is my stand against it and outside of it. We are to stand fast in the truth. We are to stand fast in Christ. And we continue to stand in His truth, in Christ. By His grace. It's not your power that's causing you to stand. It's the grace of God. It's the strength of God causing you to stand. But you stand. 
You choose to stand, you purpose to stand, and you stand. God does not send a strong delusion to those who love Christ, to those who love the truth. Just the opposite. God from the beginning chose His elect for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. He called us by the gospel for obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. The truth is much more than facts or information or statistics that can be twisted and turned in every direction possible. When we talk of truth in any context, we go straight to the heart of the matter surrounding the author and the origin of all truth, and that is God Himself, the Creator, the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a stark difference between those perishing who do not receive the love of the truth and those chosen for salvation for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, who have received and do embrace a love for the truth. The difference is His grace. Grace that is freely given to everyone He chose in the beginning, all of which do not deserve that grace. You do realize this. You have received grace if you are in Jesus Christ, if you are His child, if you have been born again to a hope eternal in Him, you have received that by His grace. You didn't earn it. You didn't buy it. You didn't work for it. It is freely given according to His good pleasure. It is His grace. And it is only His grace. Grace that is freely given to everyone He chose. Given to those who absolutely did not deserve it but was given anyways because it was His good pleasure. The lie holds us in bondage. The truth sets us free. Listen to the words of Jesus in John 8, 31 and 32, the very words I read to the children. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed Him, If you abide in My word, and you are my dis- then you are My disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. There is nothing the lie can offer that is worth our freedom. Unless you think your bondage is freedom. And that's exactly what the enemy, that's exactly what the world wants us to believe. That our bondage is actually our freedom. And the thought of being delivered from our bondage is is a horrendous thought because we have bought the lie and we believe actually that our bondage is our freedom. And if that's what you believe, and that's what much of the world believes, that's what all the world believes who are outside of Christ. Unfortunately, there's too many in Christ who I believe also adhere to that belief. Then you need to know the truth, the truth that will make you free. Many people think of freedom as being free of restraints, free to choose, free to do whatever I want. That's not freedom. That's being in bondage to your will that is opposed to God and opposed to His truth. The freedom we gain in Christ is true freedom for it delivers us from the bondage of sin and death and therefore it delivers me and it delivers you from the bondage of our own will and allows us to be subject to the will of God and the pleasure of God. So much so that now His will becomes my will. And I take joy and pleasure in doing 
and living under His will. And I realize in that I am truly free. And as I continue to abide in His word, the written and the living word, I find the depths of His joy and joy, the depths of His love, the depths of His joy and His peace. I begin to discover the depth of the freedom that we have in Christ. And we soon realize that there is no measure that can plumb the depth of the freedom that we experience in His love. If we just consider one aspect of our freedom, you realize we could talk about all sorts of aspects of this, but just consider one aspect of our freedom. Freedom from the fear of man. What man can do to me is not to be feared. Jesus said this, don't fear those who have power to kill your body. And he can do no more. Fear him who has power over your soul to cast it into hell. To, to eternal death and torment. What man can do to me, what man thinks about me, or any other fear or insecurity that comes from the sinfulness of man. Don't look to man and what he can do. Look to Christ who is the truth. The truth that can set you free. The truth that reveals to you how much and how perfectly, how completely God loves you. Well, how do I know that, Pastor Jeff? Because Jesus hung on a cross for you. And he didn't just hang on a cross and physically die for you. He hung on a cross, and upon that cross, he took the wrath of God in, in place of you. So that you would not have to suffer the wrath of God rightly, justifiably, that I deserve. Jesus took that for me. Why? Because he loves me. And in that love, he delivered me from sin and death and God's wrath. That truth sets us free. That truth should cause us to have a knowledge of God's so love, of God's love that is so real, so complete, that there is no fear of man in me. Now that's not an instantaneous thing, just like children learning to walk or ride bicycles is not instantaneous. But it is something we grow into, we renew our mind to. But if you ever want to learn to ride a bicycle and you don't know how to ride one, if you just try it one time and fall down and don't get on it again for six months, guess what you don't know how to do for those next six months? You don't know how to ride a bicycle. You can't ride a bicycle. But if you get back on that bicycle and you pedal and fall, and you get back up on that bicycle and you pedal a little bit farther and fall, and you get back up on that bicycle and you pedal, fall, you get back on, you see what I'm saying? The more you abide in his word, the more you will come to know the truth and the more you will realize your freedom and the more you will come to have a revelation of how perfect and complete his love for you is as demonstrated by Jesus' death on the cross. Don't look to man. Look to Christ who is the truth. Be set free from the bondage of Fear, the fear of man, 
the fear of what man wants to inflict upon you. Let Jesus set you free from the lies of men. And when Jesus sets us free, Jesus said that we are free indeed. And that is exactly, it's exactly what he declares to us in John 8, 36. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. The truth set us free. And it is the Son who makes us free. And truly, we are free in Him. Free from sin and death. Free to do His will. Free to experience His joy. I want to close with a discourse Jesus had with the Pharisees. They claimed Jesus was not true. And Jesus was revealing the reality of who they were in their lies and in their sin. John chapter 8, verse 40 through 47. But now, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees, but now you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. They said, we are children of Abraham. Jesus is refuting their claim. Verse 41, you do deeds of your father. Then they said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. And Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? That's a question Jesus is asking, and then Jesus gives the answer. Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil. And the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which, is, which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. You know why the world can't receive the truth? You know why the world rejects the truth, suppresses the truth and unrighteousness? Because they can't hear it. And the church is as guilty as anyone in permeating this lie throughout the world that we're all children of God. I hear pastors say it all the time. We're all God's children. No, we're not all God's children. If we are, then Jesus is a liar. Because Jesus said, you are of your father, the devil. You're not God's children. You're the children of the devil. And that's why you can't hear my words. That's why you won't listen to me. That's why you don't believe me. Before we cast stones at these Pharisees, you do realize we were all there. I don't know if you're there now. I hope you're not. I pray you're not. But we were all there until God, by His Holy Spirit, caused us to be born again, born of the Spirit. And God, by the Spirit, poured His love into our hearts and revealed His truth to us and set us free. And when we're born again of God, of the Spirit, we become, that's when we become children of God. When we are translated from darkness into light, in, from death to life, that's when we become children of God.
in Christ Jesus. Everybody else outside of Christ are of their father, the devil. That's why your arguments and your convincing is powerless. It is the gospel that is the power of God to salvation. Don't just argue with them. Don't just try to persuade them out of the emotion. Give them the gospel. That means you've got to get in the Word of God. You've got to abide in His Word. You've got to become a disciple and fill your heart and your mind with His Word so that you can give that gospel and then the power of God will break through and it can save them just like it saved you and just like it saved me. The world doesn't want to know the truth. They're suppressing the truth. They claim they want the truth, but they don't want the truth actually. They want their truth. And they want to believe it's true, but it's not. Thus they hold down the truth in unrighteousness and they float their lies to the top that they claim to be true. But they're not. Not only is God's wrath revealed in heaven against this ungodliness and unrighteousness, but God will send a strong delusion to hold them in their greater bondage to the lie. This is why the gospel is so important. This is why it is so important for pastors and Christians to live and preach and teach and proclaim the gospel. Yes, from pulpits on Sunday morning, but yes, through your life on Monday morning, how you do your job, how you interact with your co-workers, how you love your family, how you live life. The gospel is to permeate everything we do. The good news for us in Christ is that God has set us free from the bondage of the lie. He has given us a love for the truth. He's poured His love into our heart by His Holy Spirit. He has set us free. And now we are free indeed. Free to be transformed, free to be conformed to the image of Christ, free to live in His love and peace and joy, free to walk in the Spirit and to no longer fulfill the lust of the flesh, free from sin and death and gloriously saved in His righteousness and life. Hate the lie. Love the truth. Speak it in love, and sometimes love is stern, sometimes love is painful, sometimes love doesn't sound like love, but the truth, truth, when we speak the truth, we are loving people. We are people of the truth, no matter the cost. Stand fast, hold the truth. Jesus is not only the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus is Lord, and He is Lord of all. And we have no reason to fear anyone or anything because that is the truth. He is the Lord. Amen? Let's stand. If you read, when you read the Old Testament, uh, especially in the Old Testament, and God is giving instruction to His people, in particular when God is instructing Moses concerning the feast and how to raise up their children, there is repetition built in. And so God says things like this. He commanded the children of Israel, when you walk down the road, as you're walking, 
talk about the Word. Speak the Word. Wherever you go, bind it to your forehead. Bind it to your arm. Now God wasn't telling them to make phylacteries and literally make little leather boxes to tie around their forehead, which Orthodox Jews do, and bind on their forearm, which Orthodox Jews do. The, the scripture bound to your forehead and bound to your arm meant that in everything you do, in all your thinking and all your doing, let it be according to the word of God. And God built repetition in celebrating feast every year, doing these things repetitively. You know why God did that? Because God knew the power of that. It's how we learn. And God commands us to be purposeful just like when Jesus said, abide in my word and you are my disciples indeed. We need to be purposeful about abiding in his word. We need to be repetitious in reading it, praying it, meditating on it. Because this is what the world does. The lie is repeated constantly. The lie is presented to us in ways you don't even realize. It's so subtle, but it's there. So think about it. We live in a world in which the lie is prolific. It literally fills the airwaves in 4G and 5G. And the world is relentless in its effort to destroy the truth and fill us with the lie. But you know what's more powerful than the lie? The truth is more powerful. And know that. Believe that. And live according to that. Don't lose heart. Jesus is the truth that cannot be suppressed. He cannot be quiet. He cannot be canceled. He is the Lord and the King. And His kingdom is coming. It's here already. And it's continuing to come. It's like an army that's invading a land. And they've already landed on the beach, but they just keep coming. And there is no end in sight to the march, the onward march of God's kingdom and God's hosts, His armies. You and I are part of those armies. His will is being done on earth as it is in heaven. And we are part of that kingdom movement and advance. We are people of the truth. We are people of the word. We win... We have already won because Jesus is Lord. So be of good cheer. Go and boldly live and proclaim His truth. And do not be afraid of what man can do to you. Amen? Amen.